on this film. Levitated by the human touch. Antonio's galloping forward, here's the pass. Antonio's through, chance to fall, what a goal! What a brilliant strike by Mikel Antonio! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knees Up Mother Brown West Ham podcast. I am joined, as always, by my two co-hosts. My Sebastian Schemmel is young Jack Elderton and my Harita Alunga. It's one Callum Griddle. How are we doing this evening, both? Both well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all good. I'm good. I, I really <laughs> wish I was. Uh, I really wish I was here at Erlanga. <laughs> yeah, what <a> baller. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going one season than a dip. If you get the trend, uh, this week we'll be looking at well, the Leicester game is what we'll be looking at. So is Sufal the new Schemmel? And what happened to our reliable fullbacks? A tired midfield. Uh, good things you may have missed, and some well-earned praise for Issa Dion question mark it is it is truth the apocalypse is upon us um first some correspondence uh graham grassam sorry grassam upson got in touch on youtube i believe that's what the kids call it anyway saying the pod was marvelous so much respect for putting us right to note that to react as a fan during play but acknowledge getting it wrong when analyzing the rewatch gives hope to us all please keep up the great work love it so i think that's a uh, mainly jack approving the fact that you can you can watch one thing, then come back and watch it a different way and uh, have your take change. Uh, a quick shout out as well to young master Chalks for what I believe was an assist in his first game of the season for the first team at, I'm going to say Ear of Town because there's a place called Ear of near me. Uh, real Londoners, Essex boys and stuff like that. Well, no, uh, mainly because I enjoy how proud his dad is of his lad and I do like hearing about it. Um, any correspondence can be sent to either the email address, which is podcast at kumb.com the forum thread as always on kumb.com and you can tweet the boss on twitter at kumb.com and as i always say all words no punctuation so we can start with the midfield i guess jack and which is where some of the, the good was coming to begin with the kind of the press and how we used that and how we kind of controlled the first half as well and what we were doing right yeah well i mean i think if you look at our, our recent results against Leicester over the last couple of years, I think you can sort of see that, that um, Moyes and, and his tactics are a, a sort of Rogers kryptonite, really. Um, he's, he's really struggled to get to grips with that kind of reactive mid press that we, we have used really well, used particularly well for, for long stretches of last season, haven't employed so regularly this season, but um, returned to here against Leicester and um, to great effect, really. Similarly, um, as with those uh, games uh, previously, uh, Leicester really, really struggling um, to play through it. And 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 the key thing here is about uh, the way you set the press, the fact that you screen um, and encourage passes across um, the opposition defence. Um, Leicester generally don't have the best quality, particularly without Fafana um, and, and also without Evans, don't really have the best quality um, on the ball at the back. And if you look at Amati and Suyuncu, neither are particularly confident at, at carrying out of defence and, and playing um, passes through the line. So that means that really it needs to be Tillemont um, or Ndidi that, that take the ball off the defence and, and, and transition Leicester forward. And um, 
and we were very, very good, particularly in the first 20 minutes. I think it, it did drop off after that. And then in the second half, we'll, we'll talk about what happened uh, there. But uh, particularly in that first 20 minutes, the way that Antonio and Lanzini combined to stop passes, finding um, and Didi and, and Tillemont and, and, and therefore stops uh, Leicester from being able to transition the ball out of defence, I think was very, very strong and, and often led to a lot of turnovers and good areas for us or, or forcing Leicester to punt the ball long, which, which doesn't really lead to much for them because even if they had everyone fully fit, they don't really have a striker who's a massive physical presence. And, and against uh, players like Dawson and Diop, they're not really going to get much change um, going long. I'm just going to use, use your terminology and get you to explain it as, as if I'm five. Screening into mid-press. Just, just give me a, an explanation of that simply. So a lot of the time we've talked about over the last few years with Premier League football, a high press. And uh, there are a lot of managers that, that, that have used that very successfully over the um, over the last few seasons. Klopp really um, most notably. And uh, a mid press is it's not massively dissimilar, but but it's somewhere in between a, a, a Hodgsonian low block um, and, uh, and a Hasenhutl uh, high press. And, and that is to kind of uh, encourage passes around uh, the opposition defence. It's, it's, it's almost uh, in its most condensed way, it's kind of say it's like your centre-backs can have it, but no one else can. Um, and uh, you trigger press very quickly. And often where we do that, um, often our trigger is when, when the ball goes out to a fullback or um, one of the creative players in the opposition side. So James Madison was the real key trigger for us in this game. Every time Madison received the ball, um, we were very, very quick to rush in with several players um, pressing very intensely all of a sudden. So often that was on uh, Leicester's right-hand side. So our left-hand side, Cresswell and Rice would be rushing up incredibly quickly. Fornell's getting across as well um, and encouraging balls back into either Ricardo Pereira or Daniel Amati, neither of which really have the quality to play out of such an intense press. Um, and and it's, it's an effective trap, basically, when you use, the, use it on the flanks because um, the touchline provides a bit of a net for you because if you can pin Pereira to the touchline, what you're going to do is you're going to force him to play centrally into Ndidi, where we're very confident that we can win a turnover because he hasn't necessarily got the quality to turn and play forwards in one or two touches, or he's going to have to punt the ball long where we're going to be able to win it with Dawson or Diop. Um, so that's the kind of style. So effectively you, you screen and you're very passive um, and it doesn't look like you're pressing at all. And then suddenly one, when one player picks up the ball, when a certain pass is made, you rush into a very, very high press all of a sudden. Um, and it works very effectively against Leicester. And I think that sort of then sort of takes you on to talking about how Leicester, one, one of their real key weaknesses um, under Rodgers and something we've exploited brilliantly time and time again against them is that following those transitions, when they lose the ball, they're very, very forward thinking. So they, they counter press quite quickly, uh, but they never seem to sort out the defensive line. Um, and there's this period where they switch off uh, five, 10 seconds in, in transition and they're just too slow to reorganize at the back. So you, if you if you watch the first half back, you'll see us doing it a bit to death, actually. Uh, Diops was very successful for the Bowen goal where he plays the ball over the top very quickly. It's one, two, three passes and then a ball over the top. And, and I think it, it became a little bit um, too repetitive from us in that first half. But you can see the tactic, which is yeah, win the ball, play one pass, and then immediately hit a ball over the top of the defence. Um, and and that, that works very well against Leicester. I think people will remember Fornals' goal from Cresswell's sort of spanked clearance up the pitch. And, and it's the same kind of thing. It's just that disorganisation at the back on turnover that Leicester consistently have had under Rodgers. It's, it, is, it is a tactic that 
was probably something we were more used to doing regularly as well last season where we were much more pouncy. Yes. Yeah. All, all over this, but you could see it again straight away in this game. It, it felt like anything in the middle breakdown, it was go. It was almost like a, we have our 10 seconds to try and score a goal now. This is what we flood and do. But it's interesting is usually we talk about four nows doing quite a lot of that, being quite an important figure for the press in mm-hmm. the field, what he does forward. But yesterday would have been more Lanzini in that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think it's both 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 of the front two. You you, you sit off in that four four two shape, and and the key thing, especially when you're coming up against a team who play with three midfielders, is to is they're going to have two one or two of those that are going to look to receive um, in defensive positions off of the centre backs, and then transition them forwards. And 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 that in the first half was indeed the Antilamont, and and um, both Antonio and Lanzini shadowed uh, their players brilliantly. Antonio was generally on Tillemont, and uh, and Lanzini generally on and Didi. And I think there were a lot of comments. Um, in the in the first half from pundits that that indeed he had a had a terrible first half and, and uh my main takeaway was actually that Lanzini had done such a brilliant job on shutting any balls into him that he couldn't he couldn't really do anything for Leicester at all in terms of transitioning them out of defense and um if there's a period that I encourage people to watch again if you can get hold of the footage it's um between uh the 10th and 15th minute uh, just after we score the goal um, I think it's about 14 minutes in you'll just hear loud boos um, from the crowd around uh, King Power uh, where they're, they're effectively just passing the ball back and forth between Soyuncu and um, Amati and it's that screening job that that is um, that is causing that kind of frustration um, from the Leicester fans because they just can't get the ball out of defence um, and it, it's, it's something that often goes unnoticed you'll see people saying that Antonio doesn't um, press defenders very regularly anymore but stylistically that's not what he's there to do he's there to shadow passing lanes to stop certain passes that would harm us from happening and if he was chasing the centre-backs then that would actually serve to benefit Leicester because as soon as he chases the centre-back it opens up Tielemann or Didi to receive the ball and then they can pass through us very quickly and get the ball into Dakar and use the pace that they have in the final third. I think that's really important and we are going to come back to a kind of defence of Antonio's just bound that but it's probably something that isn't being picked up on because people are now looking and going, he's not doing his pressing, which means he's not doing his running and people, you know, it's one of those easy things to see. You can see someone running, you can see someone moving. But if you're blocking those channels, you're doing a better, more important job, I would guess. And that's he's done, it's, it's, that's not accidental. I guess Cal, he's, he's not just going, I'm just going to try and block these passes. The manager will be fine about it. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, it's one of those things that, uh, and I, I don't want to come across as though I'm like dismissing fans and stuff, but it's those sort of things that you don't necessarily notice when you're watching the game live from a kind of spectator point of view, because you're uh, you're obviously watching the ball and where possession is, so you're not drawn to watching Antonio's movement on the uh, like 10, 15 metres away. But it, it is really important because you're kind of forcing play down channels that you're happy for play to be uh, to go down, if that makes sense, um, in a in a similar fashion to what we talked about last week on the pod, where Hodgson was forcing us down channels that he was happy for the ball to go down, similar thing, but just refixed to to the purpose that we wanted to serve. Um, but yeah, can't can't really add much more to anything Jack said. It's all spot on, but um, it was just kind of confirmed with the numbers, particularly with regards to Ndidi and Lanzini. Um, I think it, what was really impressive was not only Lanzini's. Uh, ability to prevent Ndidi from playing the ball forward, really, um, which uh, is reflected by the fact that he only had 
five forward passes in the first half uh, and Didi, and three of them were headers, which is probably the only area that Lanzini can't be expected to outdo him in because he's quite small and Ndidi's quite a tower. Um, but he only recorded one forward pass successfully on the deck and the other one went loose uh, and was picked up by Rice, which was incidentally his only interception of the game. Um, but we'll come to that later on. And then the flip side of that is that whilst he was present preventing rather uh, Ndidi from playing the ball on the deck, he was also really successful in his pressing. Um, he had six ball recoveries throughout the game, um, which is pretty standard, but f- five of them came in uh, Leicester's half, which is uh, a testament to how aggressive we were in that sort of mid to final third um, chasing down. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. And the only other thing would be to say that um, further evidence of that mid press is that uh, we talk about how um, we utilise the press and, and you'd be forgiven for thinking that, OK, well, we're pressing more, so you're going to see a, a lower PPDA because they're going to pass less. But uh, this is actually isn't reflected in the numbers. They actually had um, more passes than in. We allowed the opposition to take more passes than in previous games because we were happy to let them play the ball between Soyuncu and stuff like that. Um, because it, it's just not threatening. I mean, Soyuncu is not threatening in a number of ways, but that's just one of them. Um, but, but, I could argue yeah, he's yeah. more threatening to the team he plays for. <laughs> that's the mid-press. Yeah. That's the mid-press part. You're allowing. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of just, the line of engagement is not is is around about the halfway line rather than, say, in Liverpool, where the line of engagement would basically be the edge of the opposition 18-yard box and they're straight on top of you. We're happy to basically say to Leicester, yeah, you know what? Chill in your own half. We're, we're not scared because if you do get forced along like Jack pointed out earlier we've got Dawson at the back who won seven out of nine aerial duels and you're just not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna win the ball that way typically it would be called a mid block um, that's yeah. what it would usually be called because it's about I mean and that's how you'd use it when you were talking about someone like Roy Hodgson is it's about funneling uh, teams into into areas that you're comfortable dealing with them in but but why, why you would refer to it as a mid press is that you have that trigger point uh, where Madison receives the ball and then everyone goes and presses really mm-hmm. intensely and, and that's something that's become much more in vogue over the last five or six years and something that Moyes has really brought back with great effect in the Premier League interesting well, actually because it, it the language changes how you think of it if you call it a mid block it feels like it's blocking mid press pressing it, they feel like they're two different things but actually they're one and a one and a kin kind of together i guess it's the uh hodsonian low hassan high and the moisaya mid is is where you're, <laughs> is where you're going go. alliteratively um but it, it kind of it leads to our midfield and how we were doing in midfield and it's it was an interesting way of how the game changed i guess if i, I suppose if you're looking at the story of the game the influence of our midfield might be part of that. And certainly, well, there were, very, there were two very obvious. Sutex passing seemed like a really obvious point and just a, a kind of a dulling of what Rice usually does and what he is. He felt very, you're looking for signs of tiredness maybe in the Watford game and it was maybe as less important, but here he looked physically different, Jack. I don't know. Something about his game was different to what you kind of expect. And it's obviously we have very high standards of deck, but. There was something there or not there, not rather. Yeah, well, I think this conversation, particularly when you're talking about the second half, is, is, is again about fatigue and, and about the lack of um, of having a, a, a or, or lack of a third defensive midfielder who's a competent passer who we can turn to in these situations. I think that would have been a real benefit in this game. But um, certainly throughout the game, really, neither midfielder really asserted themselves on, on, on the game. I didn't feel that um, Deck ever really took control of the match in the way that we've seen him do um, in previous weeks. And, and that was definitely the same for for, um, for the Watford game as well. I think that 
perhaps his best period was was when he was most tired, which was in that sort of last five minute period of the game where um, both him and Cresswell actually really stepped up and, and started to play some really important progressive passes into key areas, um, running on very little energy. But beforehand, we'd really struggled to get to grips with controlling that area of the pitch. Um, and most of what had been successful was about funneling them into those wide spaces so that it took some of the pressure off of the, that central midfield pivot. So what what do you think changed that got Leicester into it? I think eventually you see the the the, the mismatch numbers wise in midfield telling. Um, so it's a three v two in there for the whole game, four three three against a a four two three one that that definitely defensively looks like a four four two. I think you see our, our energy um, drop off significantly, but I think the main uh, thing that changed was um, as Soufal's performance level significantly dropped off. One of the key things you need to do when you play that mid press uh, is when uh, a, a trigger is met and the midfield goes, the defense needs to step up a couple of yards to be able to deal with it when the ball squirms through. So um, a lot of the time when you're unsuccessful in, in completing a pressure, what you want to do is to have a Diop or a Dawson mopping up anything that comes out uh, from that um, and being very dominant in the duels on or in front of the halfway line. Um, and what happened really was that as Soufal's performance level dropped off and Barnes started to take more responsibility for Leicester and, and Leicester changed their focus from being incredibly right side heavy in the first half to incredibly left side heavy in the second half. And their usage of Dewsbury Hall increased massively and they were much more happy to have three midfielders dropping deep to receive and not needing the numbers in the, in, in the final third because Barnes was doing such an effective job 1v1 versus Soufal. Um, it, that, that kind of um, fear really of, of Barnes's carrying ability meant that the defence was stepping off five yards rather than stepping up five yards. And those gaps become unacceptable. Uh, you cannot sustain a, a mid-press where you've got six players pushed forwards in the final third off of a trigger and then your defence sitting 10 yards inside your own half. You've got a 35-yard gap between your defensive line and your midfield line. So there's a huge, huge area there for Barnes to step off, receive in a deep space, get going at full pelt and then get beyond Soufal very, very easily. Um, and you see the restabilization of the game when Fredericks comes on because suddenly we're not so worried about that pace differential. And then Diop and Dawson can step back up onto the halfway line and can start contesting those duels with the Dakar or stepping up even and contesting a duel with a Dewsbury Hall or with a Tielemont. Um, and, and, and we got control back of the, of the game in that period. But that was the real change is that Barnes took a lot more responsibility. And, and, and I think the thing that Moyes will be most disappointed with is there'll be a lot of people that point fingers at the individual area errors over the goal but you don't want those to undermine a team performance that's functioning well um, and that's what happened it undermined the strength of what the defense were doing up to that point because the fear infected all four members I guess we could it's, it's impossible I, I don't think I'm going to ask either of you to analyze the penalty and the goal it's, just an, it's an aberration it's one of those things that happens it feels a little bit akin to that. I think it was West Brom and Maswaku where he just decided to control that ball coming out of the air mm. by just catching it. Um, <laughs> so again, it's just sometimes you guys, it doesn't matter who your manager is. You're not coaching that out. Um, I guess another, I guess if you're talking about that drop as well and you're thinking of the defence getting fear and dropping off more and more, I guess, Cal, the half of the problem is if, if every time they get the ball, they lose the ball. Um, it kind of negates everything you're doing. If you're doing a press well, but you get the ball and just lose it. It, it completely disorganises everything you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, to be fair, I don't think the defence, well, half the defence didn't yes. do that. <laughs> the other half, the outside did. Uh, yeah. and, and we'll come to the centre-backs later on. But yeah, that's it. It's like, 
we've constantly criticised our, our build-up and, and, and lack of without Obona and, and how dependent we've been on Cresswell and sadly both the fullbacks were just absolutely terrible. Um, but I will just quickly add that I think another element of the the midfield um, besides fatigue, and I think it was really noticeable throughout the game, um, was the complete change of dynamic of Declan's performance when he got that unfortunate yellow. Because when one thing that um, uh, has got us out of some sticky situations before is when that sort of midfield line is broken, uh, when we've over uh, overcommitted, you can usually rely on Rice to burst back and kind of use his legs. And Suchek did it once in the game, but sort of come in from behind and reach round and, and scoop the ball away. But when you're on a yellow, that's too, it's too much of a risk to do that. So there was times where you'd, you'd sort of see the midfielder, whether it was Dewsbury Hall or whether it was Tielemans, sort of carrying the ball just past Rice and in other games, you'd expect him to just go and pounce on him and either take a cynical foul or win the ball um, in a in a risky tackle, but with, that we know that he can usually pull off. But because he was carrying that yellow, if he'd attempted it and got it wrong, there was just too much risk involved, and, and going down to ten men would have just. I just to think what would have happened if that had got if we'd have lost him. But um, it just means that he kind of has no choice but to let them. Uh, kind of dance past him well not even dance just glide really just run run past him uncontested uh, and then hope that the defence can do a job and that kind of um, takes one of Declan Rice's biggest strengths away from him in the sense of his uh, ball winning um, ability and stuff particularly his recovery pace as well we saw a lot at least twice against Watford where I think there was once one where Josh King was basically through on goal and I think it was given offside in the end, but he'd literally sprinted like 40 yards down the pitch and made a last ditch tackle. And that sort of stuff is is the stuff that Rice was not able to get involved in um, for a good chunk of the game after that bizarre... I mean, it probably was, yellow, but he just kind of fell and <laughs> fell yeah, into the player. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but... Um, yeah, and that was annoying. But the only other thing I noticed in the data with regards to the fatigue that we talked about as well, um, particularly with Rice, is a, a very, very steep <laughs> downward trajectory in his um, progressive runs. So uh, it's become a bit of a theme of late of when we've needed it and when we're sort of trailing or uh, performances are a bit lacklustre, Rice will just pick up the ball and, and run 40 yards down the pitch and, and put a ball into the box and stuff like that. Um, Kidderminster, he, he recorded 11 uh, leads in that 3-2 win when it was just back and forth. He recorded eight progressive runs. Uh, Watford, six. And then uh, against Leicester, only two. And I think that is probably the biggest reflection of the lack of energy that he's got is because he's had to consistently carry us and drag us in. And, and he doesn't he doesn't have that in the, in the tank to... Uh, to carry on doing that week in, week out. Um, and it was clear to see he was just, especially towards the last 30 minutes of the game where he, it's almost a trademark that he comes alive and has this sort of second win. That just didn't, that second win didn't appear to come, I didn't think, against Leicester. Do you think, if you talk about, I mean, I, I, will, I will mention, I thought it was a really good point on Rice. I will mention Suchek's passing, which was about 50%. Which is- yeah, 56%, but 50% forward passing, which is pretty bad. Um, Criminal. Yeah, and then the even worse was the ball losses. I think 17 ball losses from Suchek. And bizarrely, eight from Rice, six of which were in our own half, which is double his average for the season. Um, that's like really uncharacteristic of Rice. He, uh, giving away the ball in their half is, is not... That's kind of fine because it might be... a. a but you know it's forgivable and it's and it's not in a dangerous position. But Rice, someone who's usually so secure in possession, to give the ball away six times in our own half is unheard of. All second half as well. 
all yeah. the second half. He had a hundred percent pass accuracy at half time. Uh, it's a, it is a football cliche, and I'm sure you could you could tweet football cliches. But the goal before half time and the change in momentum, I thought it was pretty evident almost ten seconds after the goal when they suddenly started attacking and we looked scared. Uh, just a mentality shift, I suppose, didn't help. I, I, to be honest with you, I would disagree. I would disagree. I think I think it was much more about fatigue. I think our strongest period of the first half came after they scored. I think we suddenly started counterattacking and showing a real threat um, just before half time. Um, I think the two strongest periods of the game we had were after we scored and, and after they scored in the first half. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that it was so much a mentality thing. I think that, you know, you see Rice have 100% pass success in the first half. And I think it's just the legs went. Oh, I think, half, I think the I, legs I, just went more them than us. More than I thought, they looked. They they found some belief by scoring in a way that no, absolutely, yeah. If, if if they haven't scored and they are having some struggles at the moment, they may not have. You know, you you take the gifts where you're given. I mean, it was you you mentioned in your notes a kind of a growing need for a third equally good member. Is this is this one of those games where you can really tell we do not have a backup that we could use in? In midfield, I think yeah. the squad depth was very evident in 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 different ways, really. But both in midfield, where where it was increasingly obvious in the second half that we could do with uh, a, a fresh body in there, but someone who is confident in passing the ball forwards, particularly in central areas. I think you see how much we lacked a progressive passer in there in the second half when Lanzini was dropped in. I think it was about 70-odd minutes into the game. He swapped Lanzini and Suchek, and Suchek went up alongside Antonio, and Lanzini slotted into defensive midfield and, and almost instantly started punching passes straight through the middle of the pitch, and, 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 and the threat increased massively from what we were doing beforehand. So you see the need for, for someone who could do that with, with fresh legs and also with a bit of defensive competency because Lanzini defensively in that period was beyond awful. He was just running away from people who were running at him. Um, and and then also up front in the same breath because you swap Suchek and, and Lanzini and frankly what you'd like to do is put a new striker on alongside Antonio rather than having a defensive midfielder playing alongside him and you'd like a new defensive midfielder on the pitch to, to pass the ball through the lines um, and actually what you end up with is a very tired defensive midfielder lumbering himself around the, the top of the pitch and a very tired number 10 who can't defend lumbering himself around the middle of the pitch. Um, so yeah, very, very evident that it, having some some extra depth would have gone a long way in this game. Is, I think even Dawson had a couple of minutes up top, didn't he? I remember at one he point did, yeah. I was like, is he going to stay did. there? Or, or is he, he, he going to come back? It was hard to tell whether he decided he just wasn't going to bother going back or whether that was... I <laughs> yeah. think it looked slightly like Rice had, decided, Rice had gone to centre-back. Yeah, like Rice went to centre-back in, in out of time. It was just because Craig Dawson doing something. I think only Craig Dawson would have done. So he was just going to stand in front of Schmeichel when he was taking that kick. He wasn't going to do anything. He was just going to stand there to be annoying. <laughs> um, Craig Dawson is a, a shithouse supreme, and I, I am here for it completely. Um, I sp- where, where we did make a change, and undoubtedly 20, 20 minutes too late, was in the right-back area. So Soufal is worth looking at on his own. I think we can press well, and I know you said in your... In your um, after match rewatch, the kind of standing around at the back post, not being aware of what's around them. I've lost the exact phrase you use. Resident um, sleeper. Resident sleeper <laughs> at the back post. I think sadly that's something that's come back into his game in a few times in the recent weeks. It's it's also one of those intangibles. Um, so to really look at why, I think my my opinion at the moment is that he he isn't being led by Ogbonna, and that might be an issue, or it could just be a form thing, and he's just come back had to regain form, slightly got sloppy in areas. Um, but Sufau is 
what more worrying trend because that's a longer term downward trend i'd say cal yeah it's just we've we've pointed about uh, get my words pointed it out a few times now uh, in recent weeks um as have most of the fan bases it's obvious that his performance levels have dropped um particularly compared to last season where uh, he was rightly heralded as one of the best right backs in the league if not in europe at, at times um and he he was he was he was on great form, but this this performance was, uh, I don't know. I think I would struggle to think of a performance this season from a West Ham player that, apart from Diop, actually, let me just caveat that with apart from Diop, uh, <laughs> uh, that has Alex been Kral versus Kidderminster. Come on, yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Come on, uh, Premier League performance then um, that has been quite so, at least like agonisingly obviously bad like it it was almost comical like farcical at times like he'd get the ball and I'd be like oh no nah, he's gonna do it he's gonna make another surely he can't make another mistake and then he'd just pass it into either a Leicester player or out or into open space and yeah it was just crazy I think yeah just painful 20% defensive dual success rate on a fullback now come on <laughs> that is hideous just just to put it into context as well like just not not only to use his numbers but He's made Harvey Barnes look like the best dribbler in the world. This is a winger who usually has a dribble success rate of 58%, which is fine, respectable, uh, averaging about six dribble attempts per 90. Clearly, Harvey Barnes has done him once and thought, oh, hello, I can have a day here. He's successfully completed 10 out of 12 dribble attempts, which is an 83% success rate, which would make him one of the best dribblers in world football if that was going to happen in every week. So, yeah, it was just terrible. Just everything was bad, um, not just defensively, but 58% pass completion, 15 ball losses, eight of which were in his own half, uh, only six ball recoveries. Uh, zero crosses from someone who is I have said on the podcast before is the best crosser of the ball in the team and was last season at least uh, on when he was on form but to not even attempt to cross let alone complete one is, is just baffling. It's the on form and last season thing so do, do, is there an obvious shift this year last year? Yes yeah definitely there's a there's a shift in his in the volume of his uh, defensive output there's a shift in the success of his defensive output his success from aerial jewels is down 9% his success from defensive jewels is down 5% his um his overall output is down by one tackle uh, more than one tackle per 90 uh, more than one successful aerial jewel per per 90 more than one defensive jewel per 90 um so i, I my my main worry actually is just about how um passive he can be and so, I mean that was the thing that really worried me in this Leicester game is that usually he's quite a proactive defender um, and if he gets it wrong he gets it wrong but um, there was a period of this game where he just wasn't really doing anything I think that the, the, the second goal is, is a really good example of uh, of that kind of passive approach to defending where you're not really achieving anything he made no attempt to block the cross whatsoever he lost the ball um, it's him that lost the ball in our own half um, and then a couple of passes later he's in a 1v1 with Harvey Barnes and, and he makes no effort to, cross, uh, to stop the cross whatsoever um, and, and, that, and it's just strange uh, to see from him usually you'd see a much more proactive approach to defending than, than, than what we saw here and I don't know whether that's a confidence issue whether that's a fatigue issue for him or whether that form 
um it you know has just become embedded and 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 you know you go back to confidence then it's that he hasn't really had a particularly great game for for a while now but across the board like Cal said as well in the final third his crossings just dropped off a cliff um I, th- I think you know one of the one of the moments that really summed up his game was when he just spanked a free kick straight into the first man mm. um in a, in a good area and just thinking what is going on with you and I understand as well how you know I talked about earlier how we try and hit these balls very quickly. So I can understand why someone's defense, uh, sorry, pass success rate might be lower in this game than usual, because we're trying to, to, to hit balls in behind very early. Um, but, you know, he was playing as if there was like a five second shot clock, like mm. receive the ball and immediately kick it forwards to no one. And I think you look at some players who, who do it very successfully. Diop is a great example for, for the goal and maintained a good pass success rate throughout. I think even Craswell on the other side wasn't particularly good in the final third, but did a good job of finding those balls forward as per usual um, from left back. And 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 Soufal just looks lost when he receives the ball. He looks frightened and, and looks keen to just get rid of it um, as soon as he possibly can. And, and that's a trend that's continued across lots of games recently. Not really something that you could look at and say, oh, yeah, it's this game because we were looking to play forward very fast. It's, it's what I mean, and I would say the thing I've defended him before on this is he usually does his defensive basics quite well, and it's the first time today. He's, oh well, I mean yesterday where he looked like he was doing so bad at one he couldn't handle the other. I I think that cross mm. on the goal is just a man who has been beaten before and doesn't want to commit, and that's really yeah. unlike Sufal, who usually doesn't seem to have that mental side effect to those kind of things. Because kind of, you you win some, you lose some. It's the first time he looked like he was just worried about losing it. Yeah, yeah, I think I completely agree. There's this, especially with the cross for the goal, it was just so. He, he wasn't even like, I wouldn't even really call it jockeying. Like he wasn't moving on his toes. He wasn't like harrying him. He was literally just stood stationary, like he was playing musical statues at the King Power. Like it was just, it was bonkers. Um, and then there was one. The only other moment that stood out for me was uh, almost the reverse of him, sort of kicking it away in in like rapid fashion was there was a moment where he had possession in our own half and he kind of just stood there like jogging on his feet for about five seconds like looking where to pass the ball and then just it was staring at Diop the whole time and then eventually just passed it to Diop and it was just that sort of moment where he's he's clearly all confidence is gone he's overthinking his performance like it's, there's no fluidity to it and he, you could just almost see him freaking out in his brain he was like oh I'm having a bad game I don't know what to do I don't know what to do and then just made like a pass that he should have been able to do in like half a second what's quite like is that boys brought up well I know I've seen that so I'm going to bring on someone who always looks like he doesn't know what to do with the ball <laughs> <laughs> so at least it's not going to be a shock when it's happening and I mean, it was the right decision. It worked. I think your point, Jack, was just, it's just far, it was far too late by then, really. Far too late. Um, I was, at the time, quite surprised that Fredericks was the player brought on. I thought it would be Johnson. But um, in hindsight, I think it's a very good decision to, to choose Fredericks because that recovery pace allows the defence to step up much more confidently. It's what gave us control of the game. Even though Fredericks didn't play particularly well, I don't think he had a very good substitute appearance. Just the fact that he was there, um, and, and has that recovery pace allowed other players to take much more proactive positions up and, and, and allowed us to get some control back. Um, but yeah, just strange that it took, I mean, it was the 67th minute, right? When, yeah. when that substitution mm. happened, I said at half time that he could have been substituting the right back because I think for the first 35 minutes of the game, Sufal had been quite good. And then I think he lost the ball five times in the last um, 
eight minutes of the first half. Um, yeah. He had six ball losses in the first half, five of which came in those last eight minutes. So the trend was clearly there. Um, it, it started to, 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 to drop off a cliff on, in possession and, and they were starting to look to Barnes um, more frequently yeah. on, on the ball. So, so I'm not quite sure. Um, okay, fine, if you're not going to do it at half time, but I'm not quite sure why it's not a 50th, 55th minute thing where you see, okay, that's continued. We've seen that before half time. Let's make that change now. I'm not really sure yeah. why you let the second goal go in and then allow for another 10 minutes after that before you yeah. go, all right, now we'll do it. It's 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 where and it's the the one thing he's probably got criticism for last year as well. I think I don't think he's had it as much this year, but I think it's starting to slightly return. Of the the, the substitutions certainly feel like they come ten minutes at least after the idea that something is needed, mm. and that, that probably plays into you no know, Lanzini and Fornells coming off quite late in a game where we weren't actually recreating at that point. Yeah, I think, but I. I... Look, just speaking most sort of frankly about it, you, you can either see it's an issue or you can't see it and it's an issue. And if he can't see it, it's an issue until the 67th minute, then we've got real problems. And if he can see it, it's an issue by the 40th minute, then why have you taken 27 minutes of game time to make that substitution? It's not 10 minutes, that's 27 minutes of someone really poorly performing before you've made the decision to, to hook them off, which is just strange. Mm. We want to talk about some good things in this. We, we, we have, to everyone's shock, especially when... One, you know, the, the starter in Zuma disappears kind of half an hour before the start of the game. I don't think anyone would go, well, at the end of this game, we'll be talking about how good the centre-backs have been and how well Issa Diop played. But, Cal, it's it's only fair. <laughs> Issa Diop, my man of the match, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it goes without saying that he was my man of the match as well. You <laughs> always know that I have a massive soft spot for Issa Diop and would love to see him become this player regularly because I think if he turns out performances like that on a consistent basis, then he would be a brilliant centre-back to have around the team, if if not start. I mean, if I would start him if he played like that every game, without without question. He's brilliant. Um, but sadly, we know that it's not common to see performances like this. But I was really pleased. It would have been really easy for him to sort of cave under the pressure, knowing that he's not been performing well, and then to find out like half an hour before that he's now going to be called upon to step into the team. Um, in what was a pretty important match, given the way that results have fallen prior to us playing, I think there was probably a lot of expectation on the team um, to make best of the opportunity to to really make a claim on that fourth place. Um, and no, he stepped up, he stepped up and yeah, he, he was my man of the match. Um, obviously, the, the pass for the assist was just brilliant. Um, and it was it almost felt obvious within like the first 10, 15 minutes that he was going to have a game. Like he, everything he was doing was just right. He looked so switched on um, areas where we've criticized him before. Uh, his passing was 90% throughout the game, which is in, really, really impressive. Um, but to be fair to him, passing is one area that has kind of, he's always had that in his locker, like particularly the sort of, long line breaking passes we've seen him do that before and, and get a few assists or at least shot assists that way um, but defensively is where I was really impressed the 80% success rate in defensive duels is just unheard of for, for a city op someone who usually gives me heart attacks whenever the opposition are in possession I, I it was I was just mesmerized by his defensive performance 14 ball ball recoveries uh, and the icing on the cake for me which is exactly what I've wanted to see from Diop only four ball losses in the whole game, two of which were in his own half. Amazing. <laughs> that's that's it. That's what we I want mean, to see. It is, it's the kind of tantalising tease of what Issa Diop does, isn't it? He gives you these glimpses of a player you kind of think, oh yeah, that's that's the player he could be. This like, is it. And this is why the, the Milans and, and the Mourinho's have seen him and gone, you know what, I'm interested in him. Because there is 
that like all the sort of um what's my favorite word here the intangibles yeah. he's like he's got the physique he's got the pace he's got the sort of that vision is clearly there because he can make those passes that those sort of all those qualities he, are there he, he but he name just... them. they're not intangibles <laughs> nah come on <laughs> <laughs> that's great come you're gonna on. have to if you're if you're new to the podcast you're gonna have to go back a little bit to get the way this intangibles thing has come from it's one of cal's favorite phrases yeah, I've got places to use wrong, so I think we yeah. can yeah. well. But it is, it is, it is certainly where, where he, I think I've always got this feeling he quite likes a certain type of. He doesn't really want to be too physically bothered. He doesn't really want to deal with anything particularly high. But if you give him a kind of kind of a striker who's got a bit of nip to them, but is wanting it all on the deck, he usually is okay. And I think Dakar might have suited him. Also, I think you noticed Jack on a couple of cases. He seemed to follow him onto areas of the pit. I, I remember one quite good bit of defence. I don't know if it was a tackle or an interception, almost down the right centre back slot. Yes, that was his best moment of the game. Which for me, granted, is one of those things that sometimes he does. He completely misses that he's out of out of uh, position. And also, there was a, there was a long ball over the top. Well, actually, he didn't get to it, and Fabianski came out. But I thought he's tracked the runner into that right centre back channel again. I don't know if it was just a. He quite liked having a single job to do, but I, I did see a, a disagreement in your face when I started this point, Jack. No, no, no. I, I, I was actually, I'm actually glad that you made the point about him uh, coming up against Dakar and Dakar suiting him because I didn't want to sound like you know too evil coming in and saying, Negative "Well, Leicester didn't do very much crossing, and when they did, they scored." Um, but you know that that um, the game definitely suited him and it, they played to his strengths. Um, and, and he did a very, very good job on Dakar. And I think I'm glad you mentioned him tracking into the right channel. He just stayed with him uh, and he made very, very good decisions about when to stay touch tight. Um, so when Dakar was receiving with his back to goal, very, very good at being, uh, touch tight and being able to upset him, uh, with the physical imbalance there. And then very, very good when he could see that Dakar was probably going to receive on the half turn and dropping off a couple of yards to, to compensate for the pace difference and then making a tackle to win the ball back. So did a, did a really, really good job at that. Uh, not to overdo the point though, um, the one cross Leicester made from, made, they scored, um, that I can, one, one really good cross they made, they scored from. You, and you wouldn't necessarily agree say that that was him to blame. I wouldn't necessarily agree that it's it, that, that it's entirely his fault. I think Sue Fallon Crosswell are, are more to blame, but he is drawn under the ball. Uh, and then um, towards the end of the game, the one high ball he dealt with, um, he completely lost his mind as per usual um in the 92nd minute i think it was as a ball dropping down on top of him he completely loses it um ends up getting on the wrong side and then dawson does exactly the same thing which is very uncharacteristic uh, and then somehow we managed to to get ourselves out of jail in that situation but yeah a very very strong performance i wouldn't have had him down as man of the match i thought that was either bowen or dawson um but i thought it was a, a much improved performance from him Quite, I mean, actually, I think we, we should probably make the point that Dawson's had a really good game because actually he's had quite a few good games in a row and he, he, has a, he has a certain type of good game quite often. And I don't think it catches attention because you, you almost, you expect really big things from Diop and if he delivers, it's really good. But you expect these kind of just minimum standard stuff, I guess, with Dawson. You, you're always expecting the basics, which he generally does pretty well. And then you just, almost it doesn't get credited because you expect him to do the basic things and he did them. I think that's the main point for me really is that a lot of people have jumped onto Diop's performance quite rightly because he's, he's, he's been poor and he deserves a huge amount of credit for turning it around and having a great game. Um, and, and I don't want to detract from that, but 
we need to talk about Dawson because Dawson's performances have been really consistently strong uh, for, for some time now. When you're looking at the basics, he, he, he seems to rarely make um, key errors. Um, and um, and yeah, again, very, very good here. D- does all the defensive basics very, very well and then scores a crucial goal for us. So I know it's come off his shoulder, but it's that same kind of getting through everyone um, and getting on the end of it. Uh, he made Amati look very, very silly. Um ducks under the ball uh, when it comes to that duel um, and gets his goal. So so a strong performance from both centre-backs, but yeah, certainly a continuation of form from Dawson. Looking at my arm and working out where my shoulder ends. The problem with that rule is that it's it's hard to get you quite a point. I just know what is not particularly worth discussing. But talking about defenders, if we were to defend someone, I, I... I will go kind of let you two kind of play on this one, really, because I know Jack, you were almost almost could have got to the point where so many people are being negative about Antonio, and you're actually you're being you think it was unfair, not just unfair, but quite blatantly wrong as well. Yeah, I, I got quite aerated for, for an argument. <laughs> no, yeah, it's just setting me up to get really ranty. Yeah. Um, at Jack Elder. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did get quite uh, angry after the game because it's become. Um, so lazy. Uh, the 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 quickness uh, with which people will jump to condemn Antonio's performances, and you do sometimes sort of begin to wonder if people are even watching what he's doing or watching what people are doing around him and how that affects his game. Because here, I thought he was really good. Uh, I didn't think it was a, a a brilliant performance or anything like that, but off uh, the ball out of possession like I, we spoke about earlier with the mid-press and that screening job I thought he did a fantastic job at that um, and then when the game got more chaotic he did really well at chasing things down um, and then when we re-established that control he went straight back to doing what he was doing well beforehand I thought he adapted really well to several different changes in, in, in approach um, there, were, there was a period of the game where he's playing up front with Suchek that he had Lanzini in there alongside him then he had Ben Rama and then he had Dawson you know I think he adapted really well to, to all of those changes and, and affected the game throughout. I thought he ran the channels really, really well and, and dragged Soyuncu and Amati into, into positions that they were uncomfortable in. I think he did a really great job, particularly of attacking the space between Amati and Pereira, which was an obvious uh, weak point for Leicester. And then I think, you know, he took up really good positions in the box a number of times. And then it's really, a, a, it comes to a, a conversation about whether people are finding him when he gets into those areas. And I don't think it's his fault um, that people are failing to, to deliver into the box with quality, which was the real key issue for much of the first half and definitely for the first 10 minutes of the second half. I can remember several times uh, for now, uh, Sufal, Cresswell all being in positive positions and, and not connecting a ball into the box. Um, and then if we're talking about connecting balls into the box, who's the player that does it? It's Antonio in this game. He sets up Bowen brilliantly uh, with a lovely run into the channels again here, drags Amati out and, uh, and pulls a ball back that's perfect for Bowen. And, and if Bowen can squeeze a shot through Soyuncu and Thomas, that would be one assist for Antonio. And then he would have had one earlier as well. If his, I mean, this is brilliant work, by the way. He receives the ball on the halfway line, turns, beats Amati on the outside, drags both defenders across, then makes the cross across to Fornals, releasing at exactly the perfect time. And if Fornals doesn't take such a defense, body position and lets Tielemans get across then he gets two assists from what would have been a really really strong performance and it's worth noting on that counter as well he took in a ball that was not particularly well passed away it was a horrible ball it was, it was a horrible hammered ball. towards his eyes and he did 
I mean, he has a huge fight, so it helps. <laughs> and maybe that's that's where I'm where I'm, where I'm lacking. But he did he did very well out of very little, and I think that was the point when we were discussing this pre pod, Cow, is that he did very he did good out of little, and he was really given little. Yeah, the service was non-existent, pretty much. Um, well, in fact, it was for him. He didn't receive a single <laughs> ball in the box. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of the laziness is is definitely there I, I agree with that point and I think uh part of that stems from people's residual upset that we failed to bring in another striker in January rightly so it is disappointing but that's not Antonio's fault and also you can put any striker in the world in that position and if no one's passing to them they can't score so it doesn't it's not his it, it's nothing to do with the fact that he's not occupying good positions and stuff like that it's just that the delivery is not there. Um, Bowen, no passes to the penalty area. Fornals, two to the penalty area, none to Antonio. Lanzini, one to the penalty area, none to Antonio. Cresswell, one of four crosses accurate, not to Antonio. Sifal, zero crosses in the entire game. How's he going to score? <laughs> like, And Antonio himself has averaged, uh, successfully passed the ball to the penalty area three times and attempted four crosses, two of which were accurate. Like He's, he's having to provide... I mean, if he could pass to himself, it'd be brilliant because he's, he, his numbers would be insane. Um, but yeah, I, I think I get be people... Unconventional attacks if you had Antonio. Yeah. Antonio they'd just be banana. They'd be running yeah. into him. I think it's just, yeah. It's, it's too easy to criticise him for, like, you, I don't know. You go, oh, striker, zero shots, fine but you need to go beneath the surface to like even touch on the sort of performance that he had, because that's just, it's, it's not that black and white. And he was still very busy, like in a game where there wasn't really much, um, like we didn't have that many attempts. We didn't record that many shots, but he was still doing well. Like three progressive runs is more than his average of 1.9. Um, like I've already said about the crosses and the passes to the penalty area and also a 10% uptick in his, in his pass completion. Something that we've criticized him quite heavily for in previous episodes of the podcast is his ability, inability rather to, to find a simple pass and how that breaks down, um, prospective counters and dangerous attacks but that's one thing I thought he was really good at uh, against Leicester his, his hold up when he didn't knock it past Soyuncu his hold up was good and he laid it off quite effectively back to the midfield um, and it was just his teammates unfortunately that let him down I thought um, yeah just yeah I think like you said Jack he, he could have had to assist the four nows one really irritated me because it was uh, def- defensive body position is the perfect perfect way to to put it it was just frustrating because it so could have been a goal but that's... and i suppose in terms of another positive and we talked about subs and lack lack of subs but one player who to he's quite quick quickly given criticism as well who actually had a very very good good kind of cameo and i think quite an important cameo considering the energy in the team was ben rama who threw in some, you know, more shots, it felt like, than anyone else. He brought in an energy and a vibrancy to the attack that's certainly been lacking to that, at least in that half, Jack. Yeah, well, I think that was the key thing we needed at that point in the game, was we needed someone who would come on and take responsibility on the ball. Um, and, and, And he certainly did that. He came on and 
we were really, really struggling to progress the ball out of defence. I was, I, I, I said about Cresswell and Rice stepping up in this period, but they stepped up after Ben Rama came on, and there was someone else coming and receiving off the defence and, and and dragging all of the attention onto themselves. It just opened up a little bit of space for other players to have an extra second on the ball so that they could um, find teammates in positive positions. And he did that so so well, just um, involved in everything when he came came on. Um, couple of really really great dribbles his directness was brilliant the fact that he took all of those shots on was really great um main concern would be the same one that I always have with Ben Rama is he got himself into two or three really positive positions and 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 his end product wasn't there again um but the, I, I would rather focus on the fact that he he did the key job which is taking responsibility in possession getting us up the pitch winning corners he won three we scored from the third um so yeah a strong substitute performance What's needed, I guess. I will will drop back and would you, in terms of changes for next week, and we've got Newcastle coming up, and it's a an interesting one with their run of form and how the second half of a season is very very different to the first half and the teams you play because that that fight against the uh, burgeoning threat of relegation becomes if real more they're much more scrappy and teams take that momentum and it's suddenly much more desperate. Would you be looking? to drop Soufau, both of you, and would you, any sort of changes with the attack as well, whether that's a four nows change or Lanzini, et cetera? Uh, I'll go Cal first. Uh, I think, Suf- assuming Johnson is fit, I think Soufau has to be dropped, to be honest. Like, if anything, just to say that that is an unacceptable level of performance and hopefully he has a week off, thinks about it and comes back and plays better. Sometimes that's all you need, you know, like a little break. Um, We've said before he's, he probably is pretty knackered, um, and yeah, just take a bit of time away, refine that form. Um, in the attack, I'm less uh, certain about what I'd do. I think Ben Rama came on and had a good impact, and, and was right is rightly being praised for for his directness. But I think maybe that is his role. Is maybe he is a guy that we've we've constantly said we lack game changers on the bench and and match winners, um, and I think Ben Rama is that guy. He came on and did change the game, and if he did come on earlier, it, he could have been a match winner if if he'd had longer to to carry on doing the stuff that he was doing. So I think I probably would just drop Sifal, uh, stick with the same attack, but look to bring on Ben Rama earlier. I think. You, Jack, you thinking to make that change at right back? I think Cow's point about probably showing what you can and can't get away with in the team is, is a pertinent one. I, I would agree. I, I think, um, I don't think, I, I disagree with the point about showing what you can and can't do. I just think you, you drop someone who, who's not in form and, and give them a chance to recover, have a week off and, 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 and get an arm around them. I don't think it's so much a disciplinarian kind of approach, but um, uh I, I also wouldn't make any changes in the attack. I think Cal's point about Ben Rama being an impact player, where we really lack that, is 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 really uh, useful. Um, and I think that he could develop into that role in the future. Um, obviously, we we all hope that he would be be more of a key player for us. Um, but but he just cannot seem to string um, long um, runs of form together at all. Um, and if you're looking for someone who's going to take risks on the ball to bring off uh, the bench when you're when you're losing a game, then um, really I think he's a great option to have. And um, that there, there is a little bit of a question mark about maybe he could be given the start against Newcastle, a team that that um, have 
proven to have quite a, quite a porous defence at different points in, in in this season, and and perhaps his risks would would come off uh, more against this kind of opposition. Um, and and Fornals didn't play particularly well um, against Leicester. Had a very slow start, then a a good run through the second half of the first half, and then a very very poor second half. Um, so, so there there is an argument there, but but no, I would agree with Cal and say stick stick with the the, the four that played in that area against Leicester and, and and bring Ben Rama off the bench if we if we need him. Yeah, well, that kind of rounds us off. I think I will wait a week to talk more about the midfield and what we could do because hopefully in a Newcastle game, maybe with a week a, a firm week rest in and a, a preparation, those kind of issues won't look as bad. So hopefully that won't need to be discussed at all because it'll have fixed itself by the virtue of time and rest so on that note um we look forward to a game against eddie howe's newcastle hopefully for success but until then until next week we'll be back with you i shall say uh good night for now right so we're here in the offices of a late late show with the host of a late late show James Corden. Hi. Big West Ham fan. Yes. <laughs> big knees up Mother Brown, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm regularly on the general discussion page. There's always someone who's got some information, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yes, it's Find excitement it. surrounded by imminent disappointment. <laughs> that's what it That's what it mostly is. Get on the forum at kumb.com. Come on, you irons.